Welcome back to Black and Bougie. I'm Leandra. And this is Sasha. And we're going to change it up a little bit this time for the fourth episode. This time, Leandra is asking the random question. Well, it's not so much random as it does pertain to the rest of the episode, but it is to help it get kickstart a little bit. Um, so my question is, do you think there's a checklist for being black? If so, why or why not? Okay. So this is interesting because I feel like inadvertently there is a checklist, but also there shouldn't be one. So for using myself as an example, I'm a light-skinned black woman woman in America who likes anime, who doesn't often use Ebonics, who is often called an Oreo or called white. So... I feel like whenever someone meets me for the first time, that checklist pops in their head. They're like, oh, light skin, not black enough. Oh, she likes anime, not black enough. Oh, she's not in the hood, not black enough. She doesn't have kids, not black enough. It's just like these people often use these stereotypes and these preconceived notions or judgments to automatically assume that I'm not black. And God knows I am Black is all black can be, black AF, love my people, but I'm going to point this out there. My people don't always love me. It's not cool to be like the nerdy black girl. It's not sexy in a sense. No, I know what you mean. I think in recent years it's become cool because it's like also not only a new generation, but we're also kind of changing the way we want to be seen to other communities. So I think now because we want to be seen as people who can do anything any other race can do, we can like anything any other race um, or culture can like, we, we do kind of want to be put in also, we want to fill in that category as well. So I do get you're saying where it's not cool to be like the nerdy black girl, but I think it's becoming um, accepted and cool, maybe even cool, to be honest. Um, as for me, I think there is definitely a checklist. There's a checklist, not only from the outside perspective or what other people think we should like or only be into, but what we think we should like or only be into. And I, but I mm-hmm. think it's not necessarily always because we like d- things that are not specifically straight from black culture. I think mm-hmm. because every time... I've had a, you know, especially when I talk to my, like my mom and stuff. Um, I always noticed how you can be black and like other things, but make sure you like the things that other black people like first. You can be black and like different styles, but yeah. make sure you like the styles that black culture originated or um, started or like, or the majority of us like first. Um, so to me, it's more of a like, you can like other things, but make mm-hmm. sure you like the what the majority of what we like as well so that it doesn't feel like we're being left out that 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 type of thing and then of course the stereotypes of loud and ratchet or ghetto which are two different things um ghetto is your environment end of story um, when mm-hmm. someone says, oh, yes. this person's ghetto, anybody can be ghetto. Any culture, race, creed mm-hmm. can be ghetto Definitely. because it's how you grew up. Ratchet is yes. how you act and how you choose to act. 
So someone once said, um, ghetto is something you can't help. Ratchet is something you consciously do. And I truly believe that, to be honest with you. You know, even when like we're playing around, like, oh, you're so ratchet. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I'm doing it to play up, even though it's a joke, but to play up on that side. You know what I mean? So with that being said, Sasha. Yes. So with that being said, this episode, we're going to talk about just being black in America, being black women in America. And I actually want to pose a question to you, Leandra. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. The question is, when did you first realize you were black? All my life. Um, I said this in previous episodes. I am a plus size dark skinned woman. I grew up a plus size dark skinned girl. It wasn't exactly easy for me to forget that I have 4C hair, darker skin, and a belly. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But also, I grew up in a very pro-black house. My mother wanted me to know that I was beautiful. There's no shame in the way I look. Um, mm-hmm. I am worthy. And that's where a lot of my core principles for how I see myself comes from. She bought me books with black characters. She bought me black dolls. I still have a Barbie doll in my bedroom right now. Literally from 1990, I believe, eight. And it was a Christmas. I remember that Christmas specifically because I grew up in a very Christian household. And the gift said from God. And I was like, from God? God doesn't give gifts. (laughs) And I opened it. It was that Barbie doll. And my mom just always wanted me to know that Black is beautiful. She didn't want me to see myself as ugly. Now, of course, I went through that phase mm-hmm. of wanting longer hair. And, and in that way, I wanted to be white because in all the commercials, white women had the long hair or white women had like the flowy hair or the other quote unquote mm-hmm. perfect, you know, hair. When you get older, you realize they really mm-hmm. don't. Sometimes it looks stringy. No offense, guys. But I definitely realized I was black all my life. It was never a question if I, if I was black. It was never like, oh, I didn't know that, mm-hmm. you know, I was black or people saw me as black. I always knew I was seen as black. How about you? In my case, like when I was younger and for everyone who may not know me as well, light skinned, natural hair, bigger girl. So when I was younger, I was actually smaller and still very much light skinned. My hair was permed by then. And my classmates would say, oh, you're white you're white, you're not black, you're white. Or if I'm, like even with my natural hair now, I often get like believed for being Hispanic. So oftentimes people come up to me, oh, do you speak Spanish? No, I don't, et cetera, et cetera. But when I was younger, my classmates would Mm -hmm. say, oh, you're white, what are you talking about? You're white, you're white. And I would be so confused because my mom and my dad raised me in the same way where they're just like, you're black. So I'm like, why do my classmates not understand that I'm black like why do I have to keep trying to let them know like why do I have to make them understand that I'm black but for me I like knew that I was black all my life but it never really hit home until I went to college I grew up black neighborhood all my life went to all black schools I it was rarer for me to see a white teacher rather than a black teacher. I've always had black teachers 
growing up. So like when I went to college, I went to college in a predominantly white area, went to a predominantly white school. And that's when I realized it was like, oh man, I'm black. The only other black people at my school were on sports teams, the basketball team, the football team. The only other black person in my first major was two of us. And then when I switched my major to criminal justice, it was three of us, three black kids in that, that major. And I felt like all the black kids in our year knew each other because we were like, yo, we're the only ones here. We, not like we have to stick together because we feel like, oh, we felt like people were going to attack us at any point, but our skin became more prominent then. Like for example, I studied criminal justice and obviously everyone knows that the criminal justice system does not like minorities, specifically black people. So my professor actually talked about crime in the black community. I think it was called crime in the black community. I'm the only black girl in that class, only black person in that class in general. I remember sitting there listening, like, yes, like this is something I understand, this is something I know. And at the corner of my eye, I see my white classmate look at me. Big guy, big white guy, very nice, loved him. He kept looking at me like, ooh, ooh, is she okay? Is she okay with this topic? Like, is this uncomfortable for it? Like, no, I'm I'm fine. You look uncomfortable. It made them uncomfortable be- your, because of your blackness. Because yeah. they've never had those conversations, obviously, in front of people of the, the color that they're talking about. They're so used to having conversations like that without minorities that when it includes minorities about minorities, they're like, oh, maybe we shouldn't. And it's like, no, we should. <laughs> we definitely should. Exactly. And even in that case, there, there are certain conversations we should have. Like in another class, I mean, there are certain conversations we should have. There are other conversations we should not. In my history class, and I remember this to the T, I can't say his name, but the professor is an older white gentleman. It mm-hmm. was me and another black girl in the class. And we were talking about, I forgot which part of the U.S. history, but obviously slavery was a factor. So he was like, yeah, you know, slavery happened. Sasha, what are your thoughts on slavery? Oh, hell no. Me and the other black girl looked at each other, looked at him, looked at our white classmates, looked at him. And I was like, it was bad? Like, what do you want me to say? Like, how do you point out one of the two black girls in his class to talk about slavery? To be like, oh yeah, your ancestors possibly stole my ancestors and this is why I'm here. And God forbid if I would have been like, oh, your ancestors raped my ancestors and this is why I'm light-skinned. Yeah. It's true though. Yeah. No, very much true. It's it's definitely, that's. I mean, that's why, you know, even though we say like black people come in all shades and colors and definitely for the Latino community as well, mm-hmm. but that's why because the colonizers definitely raped and took advantage of the situation um now for me even though I knew I was black all my life the first time I've seen a reaction to being black Mm -hmm. a true reaction and not like microaggressions where like you shove it off because I feel like microaggressions aren't learned about until we're actually adults to understand that 
yes, we're not crazy for thinking that following us around is not right. You know what I mean? So microaggressions are microaggressions mm-hmm. are um, valid, but I feel like there's something that as children we do not notice. So I'm not going to count that. But a true radical reaction to being black mm-hmm. was sixth grade. And that is when Sean Bell died. For those of you who do not know, Sean Bell was an African-American male who was shot the day before his wedding at his bachelor party in the streets. Um, numerous times in the chest, uh, unfortunately, because the cops said that they thought he was a threat. Now, the story is that there was a fight in a club that was taken outside of the club in the street. And he was actually not in that fight. It was like his friend or something. Um, I don't even think his group of people started the fight. But that's the first time I was like, oh, oh. So this is what happens when we're black in the streets. And then for a while, I didn't hear about another case. Not that it didn't happen, but I just didn't hear about another case as big. But Sean Bell has always stayed with me um, until the next case, which was like 2000, I believe 2016. And that's when this case has started becoming more prominent um, based on who's running for president. But the Sean Bell case really always stayed with me because I always just, I was just so angry, especially at the time I was really angry um, because... I felt like, how are we as children? And I went to a middle school full of black and Latino kids and brown kids, but mostly black. It was predominantly black. And it was a college preparatory school. So it was a school that in the black community, they went to prepare us for college. Um, and we had a teacher who was white. And when we talked about the situation, it was, I remember it was me, um, a Latino kid, like, and like the, like two other black kids. And we were all like, no, what's wrong? He didn't even do anything wrong. And the teacher said what I believe a lot of white people at the time said. Well, we don't know the full story. We didn't know the full story because body cams were not available at the time. We didn't know the full story because smartphones were available. But it was like the beginning of the smartphone era. So it was like still grainy footage, <laughs> if you know what I mean. And we looked at her and said no it's recorded on video that he just stood there and they shot him and I remember that video because it was so in your face that like I could not forget it and I believe it was kind of a trauma because we all looked at her like she was crazy saying well we don't know what truly happened we don't know what truly happened it's so hard to be a police officer and we were like okay it was hard to be a Sean Bell apparently because he died and we were told not to talk about it again. And we just looked at her like, you bitch. <laughs> and she left the room and um, the I forgot his name. Let's say his name was Bobby, the Latino kid, Bobby. Bobby said, she's racist. <laughs> Flat out, he was like, she's racist. And because he was also a dark skinned Latino kid. You know what I mean? I remember he was Mexican, um, but he was like a darker toned. Um, and then... That coupled with you, when you do finally realize that people are following me around in stores or people are looking at you kind of crazy. Like I've always gone to the beauty supply store. Yeah. Again, weave, braids, barrettes, oils, whatever, whatever was needed, I got it. And at an age, preteen, teenage age, I was really not realizing that these 
Asian store owners were following me around, watching my every move in the store. The majority of your clientele, you don't even trust. So it just made me, it just made me see the world really differently, um, especially after Mm -hmm. sixth grade. Um, But of course, there's still that hope, that naivete, Mm -hmm. that maybe things will get better or maybe it's not as bad as I think or maybe... Maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe I'm not really seeing the, what, I'm, what I know I'm mm. seeing. And that is something I've had to struggle with. Knowing what I see is true. Because the world loves to tell us that it's not true. And that we're, we're exaggerating or overreacting. For the longest time, I did think, okay, maybe I'm overreacting. You know, my early college days, when I was getting my associate's degree, I had, he was Latino. He was like, light, very light skinned. And that matters, by the way. Because colorism is a thing. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, I do feel like when you are, especially when you have a different race and you're lighter skinned, you tend to see how the world, not white, but as a lighter skinned PLC, especially if you're not black, um, mm-hmm. because you do not get certain looks or you may not get prejudged, but then when they finally realize that you are a PC, then they'll judge you. You know what I mean? But I feel like when you are a darker skinned POC, a non-darker skinned, non-black darker skinned POC, then I feel like that's when you can sympathize a little bit more with black people mm-hmm. because you're darker skinned. So you get that, pre- not only do you get the prejudgment, but you get the actual judgment in your face, which to me matters. And anyway, so this Latina kid said to me, he said, oh, you're lucky that um, all white people wanted to do was enslave your people. Jewish people were um, tear gassed. There was a huge genocide. And I, I told him, I was like, yes. they wanted to kill black people too. He's like, yes, but they mainly used you for cotton and and all the other like Hispanic people in the group were like, yeah, that's true. And I'm like, y'all really don't know your history. And, I, and mm-hmm. for people who don't know, picking cotton is not all they wanted us for. They experimented on us. They tortured us. There are certain words in human language that are words from the torment of black Americans during slavery. The word motherfucker, for instance. I'm going to ruin it for you guys. Um, It became a word when slave owners would sell the father, but they would have the son, who's a young buck, and the mother. Yeah. And they would make the son have sex with the mother for children. And that is where the word motherfucker comes from. So no, that's not what they wanted us for. All right. There were times, there were sick individuals who would take black men, cut off their penises and jar them and pickle them. Um, I don't know if you guys ever seen American Horror Story, um, The Witch's Coven, but the story of the, the, the white Creole woman in Louisiana who would in the, in that series who would cut up and no. mutilate and they did and do horrible that. things to black people for their blood that was real she really did that and people didn't know for years and when they finally found her that's when they were like okay mm-hmm. this is gross so we weren't seen as people okay yes genocide is wrong and i'm not going to invalidate the effects the holocaust has had on the Jewish community, I'm not a part of that community. I do not know. But what I will say is, mm-hmm. do not invalidate the effects that slavery, segregation, Jim Crow, and every other colonistic activity done against black people have affected on us as people. Because we've had to sit there and watch silently 
for years. 400 plus years. After a while, you learn to be so complacent that that's why you have black people nowadays who don't even want to protect their own. Because I truly believe that trauma is generational. Where you learn, okay, don't say nothing. That's not our business. Oh no, you know what? Don't don't mention that because you don't want to get in, in trouble for that. Mm-hmm. Even if we don't realize that's what's happening, that's what's happening. That's why, you know, the hashtag protect black girls is out there. Because in the black community, black men have learned not to protect us. Otherwise, they would get emasculated or killed in front of their own families. And see, I have a different experience with that in that regard of like protect black women and um, black men don't look out for black women because I'm light skinned. So I'm seen as more desired. So rather than being protected, I'm more sexualized than anything. Like even when I am catcalled, it's like, hi, light skin. Right. Hi, light bright. Hi, yellow. I'm like, what? What? But I do, I have felt that with the black male community, I felt that it is oftentimes that I feel threatened rather than taken care of. Mm-hmm. And that in turn, because of that, I shied away from black men. And as soon as you shy away from black men as a black female, they're like, oh, you a traitor. Why? You supposed to stick with your own. Like, we have to have more black love. But at the same time, you calling me a bitch. Right. Or you trying to threaten me and trying to kill me because I said no thank you to you for something. Or or you think I'm, I'm high maintenance because I want to date. <laughs> exactly. You know, and as far as sexual sexualization of black women goes, dark skinned women are very sexualized, mm-hmm. um, disgustingly so, because they're not seen as people. Um, mm. And in in recent years, black women, especially dark skinned black women, have taken that and sexualized themselves to make money off of the male gaze. And I don't listen. I don't condemn, yeah. condemn them for it. But then, of mm-hmm. course, they get called. Oh, she's nothing but a slut. What does she do but shake her ass? Like Megan Thee Stallion, I've seen lots of hate of Megan Thee Stallion by, by the way, by black men who think, oh, she doesn't shake her ass. This one's in college and for the health field because after her mother died, she wanted to help people. This technically rapping was not, I'm not going to say it wasn't a career move for her, but it wasn't her, like the one of the main things she wanted to continue doing. There's other things she wanted to continue doing. And this woman's on her way to getting her bachelor's or masters um i forgot which one but the point is they love to prejudge as i feel like especially you know black women of all colors if we aren't Mm -hmm. the most wholesome but then we'll go to another race who's doing the same thing and be like she's just getting her bag getting her money she can do it y'all just mad blah blah blah. and in the same breath you know when you said black men get mad at you for not wanting to date black men i'm not gonna lie there are white black women who get mad at black men for being with white women but like i said i feel like there's more of a history to that of we're not good enough you don't see us as good enough and if you talk to those Mm -hmm. men because there have been men who again there are also men who just come out out of nowhere saying that y'all just mad i date white women because they're better and it's like we don't care just stop saying one race is better than yeah, the other definitely. stop putting us down while building another up and that is what you find a lot of times with especially with you know um men who date outside their race now i can't say i'm not gonna say you can't date outside your race and be pro-black you can definitely date outside your race and be extremely pro-black yes 
I will date whoever. I mean, I'm still pro-black as hell. Yes, that is a big But like thing. I said, I don't feel like it's, like you said, this, you don't feel that protection with black men necessarily. And I do believe, like I said, it's historical. Um, when government started giving out money to the black community, they told black women that the male had to be out of the house. And all for them to get that money. They told them that they had to be mm-hmm. struggling so much that they could get no additional help. Yes. Which in turn started creating single motherhood and the male figure outside of the home. And stuff like that gets passed down. Yeah, stuff like that gets passed down, whether we know it or not. And I feel like so much more damage has been done to the black community in all 400 plus years in America. I will add in America. Um, then I'm going to just say it than any other race. I'm sorry. Other races go through their trials mm-hmm. and tribulations. They go, you know, we definitely have xenoph- xenophobes and um, anti-brown movement, which is so dumb. Oh, my God. You know, anti-immigration who want to target only, like, people from the Latinx community. I'm not saying that's never been a thing. I'm not saying that those struggles don't exist. But if you really look at the history of Black Americans, the, sh- the, the struggle is not only long and tiring. yes definitely but it's it's more like it's more like if you dangle a candy in front of a baby and then it's like you almost give it to them but not quite and that's what we've been getting for 400 plus years point blank because they're like oh you want us to stop slavery cool the prison system you you want us to stop jim crow cool segregation mm-hmm. so <laughs> it's like we got what we wanted but then we had to, we it was like 10,000 steps back because we had to keep with that and we had to like keep on with that one little step we got you know you want education you can't get into college Mm -hmm. you create your own sorry it's not valid enough there was um a community where Central Park is now full of freed slaves and they burnt it down to create Central Park a village where people resided lived and and were free to do what they wanted and it was burnt down to create something that they felt was more important, which was Central Park. Um, then you add on the stereotypes, which makes it harder for us to get jobs and to be seen as equal. Like the watermelon stereotype. Um, Sasha and I were talking about this earlier. The reason why there was a water- is, there is a watermelon stereotype is because freed African-Americans could only afford to sell watermelons. That's the one product they were af- able to afford. So they sold it. And watermelon became a symbol of freedom. But then it was, of course, turned around into, well, all you guys like is watermelon. All you guys do is, like, sing and dance. All you guys do is, you know, say yes, sir, no, sir. The stuff that we're, we were forced to do is what was turned around to make fun of us for. Yes, actually, it's interesting that you say that because you made me think about my uncle. I say a lot of yes, ma'am, yes, sir. That's just how I talk. I was raised as to believe that was polite. Right. My uncle told my dad that he should never have raised me in that way because not never raised me in that way, but he was like, I should be very cautious of how I use it because... Mm-hmm. of the fact that yes sir and yes ma'am can be seen as me like downing myself like as if I'm talking to a slave master like yes yes ma'am yes sir like a master and I don't see it that way I just think it's polite but I understand where he's coming from with that yeah mm-hmm. of course things change culturally like that's a southern hospitality thing now that's respect now but at the time it was made front of and um shows of black mm-hmm. women like yes sir no sir mm-hmm. like the and like aunt jemima aunt jemima was a, a slave who they made the face of their pancake mix mm-hmm. a mammy yeah a mammy who they made the face of their pancake mix 
Her character mm-hmm. was that she was happy to work. She was happy mm-hmm. where she was. Mm-hmm. And there's literally pictures of her smiling, the original. But the full picture is she was. But the full picture is she was chained to that table. All her royalties went to her master. Any money she made was not hers. Mm-hmm. And so, actually, if you look at the cultural history behind mammies, that is what mammies were perceived to be. They're like, we are black mammies. Mammies are happy to serve. Yes, they're happy to work. They're happy to help. And if they don't have work or if the their white employers, quote unquote, did not have anything for them, they would be lost. They don't have nothing else. Right. Of course, I feel like this psychologically, because it wasn't just physical. Slavery was psychological. And so when black people talk about their struggles, yes, they will go mm-hmm. back to slavery every time because that is the root of 99% of our problems. If you find a 1% chance that our problems don't come from slavery, mm-hmm. it comes from after slavery. So technically, it still comes from slavery. It's the result of certain things ending and putting up walls of certain opportunities so that we don't have. So, and the just like the like the Uncle Ben is like the male version of a mammy. You know, he's happy to work, happy to serve, happy to sacrifice himself for his master's or quote-unquote employers, as they went to call themselves. It was to a point where Caucasian people in this country at one point lied to themselves. They lied to themselves and said, if we really wanted to be free, we would have risen up. But when you beat down people generationally, especially if someone's born into slavery, they're not going to think they have that freedom. So it's not just physical, it's psychological. And I feel like a lot of psychological damage still prominent today in the black community that we don't see as psychological damage. We see as choices, which is fine because technically there are choices, but choices with history. Mm-hmm. Like when the crack pandemic hit the black community, there was no crack in the community before that. Mm-hmm. Not really. But then with the Ronald Reagan presidency, a lot happened to the black community in the 80s. A lot. So. All right. So I'm mm-hmm. going to change it up a bit. Okay. And bring it to 2020. So 2020 as a black person 2020 as a black female Mm -hmm. in america Mm -hmm. what do you feel how do you feel i feel like i am viewed as a fun time i'm viewed as someone to enjoy but when it comes to things happening to black women i don't feel like i'm viewed as someone to protect we're still asking for justice for brianna taylor why these black men that we that we rallied for have gotten their or getting their justice it may not come quickly but it comes so why are we still asking for justice for Breonna Taylor? Why? Because at the end of the day, she's a black woman. Why are we fighting so hard for trans black lives as well? Why are we fighting so hard to be alive? <laughs> like breathing is a crime apparently. But, you know, as a black, as me, a black cis woman, I do not feel protected. I don't feel like my life is a priority, to be honest. I don't. I actually told someone and this person disagreed with me, but that's fine. I told them, I said, when I see police, I've never thought, oh, they're going to protect me. I thought, let me just walk past them without them thinking that I'm guilty of something. They were like, well, you never needed the protection of the police. So, and I said, it doesn't matter. I shouldn't feel that way. Point blank. But I've always felt that way. Always. I've I've just never seen them as real protectors. (laughs) You know, I've always felt like I've had to protect myself. If something happened to me, like if I got robbed, I would not go to police. I, I just wouldn't sorry (laughs) because i don't know if they will leave me i'll be scared that 
that they would think, oh, well, yeah, we'll get this person and then never get them. And the person's still in the streets um, because I don't feel like I'm a priority to American culture. Malcolm X said it best. The most degraded and underrated woman in America is the black woman. The most forgotten about person in America is a black woman. The most devalued person in America is a black woman. In my case, I realized that I was grieving earlier on with all the shootings. I didn't understand how angry I really was. I was very confused and did not know where to put my anger. So at first it was like, oh, confusion, upset. Then it turned to pure anger. And then it turned to just pure sadness. I remember very vividly watching a clip with one of our friends. And I remember that day because everyone else had to leave because they were tired of seeing black people dying. And obviously I'm tired of it, but I was so filled with anger that I did not know what to do. So I watched that clip with my friend. And I think the next day I was outside. I remember it was 2 a.m. and I couldn't sleep. I was outside and I wept. I don't cry. So right. when I started crying, I was just like, what is going on? Why were these years coming from? This is crazy. And I did not know how to feel. I did not know like how to just get these emotions out of me. And then obviously, you know, I wanted to say it let up, but it did not let up. The Black Lives Matter movement, all the protests, we're in New York. So we were already stuck in quarantine. Now add into the fact that we can have a protest. There was a protest outside of my house. And I remember calling you, Leandra, and I was like, I want to go. I want to go on on this protest. I need to walk. I ended up not going out of concern for my family as it is a global pandemic. But protests could come up and they still do come up from time to time. They're just like, hey, if you want to protest, meet at this spot, we're going to walk. And, you know, it was peaceful. Obviously, people got hurt in some circumstances. Rioting, looted, looting happened. That was very big in New York where they were just like, we have to shut down the city. Everyone has to be in the house at a specific time. So it was a lot. It is still a lot. And I think 2020 is one of our harder years. <laughs> we have a lot of harder years. What am I saying? But yeah, little things just have been so impactful like for example Chadwick Boseman just recently passed away and I did not truly realize like people who are fans of Black Panther who went to theaters when Black Panther was like out you don't you know how the turnout was the turnout was amazing black people everywhere it's like we got our king this at the third came out all dressed to impress either in Black Panther gear just black gear just daishikis, different just ways to express our culture. That was the thing. And Chadwick Boseman, I don't think he understood how big it was going to be and how impactful it was going to be on the black community. And when that man passed away, it hit home. It hit home for so many people. And it was just the fact, it's just not even the fact that he passed away as well. He has such an impact on our lives. It also hit home to us that 
2020 is just taken away from black people and we're tired. Every little thing that brought us joy was taken away and now we're so exhausted. I'm going to just say this as far as 2020 um, being the hard, a hard year. Yeah, you're right. Um, but I will say this. I remember when Black Lives Matter, the movement started. And I was working at Macy's in Herald Square. It was like 2014, 15. It was my first job. And I heard them protesting. And I couldn't go out there because I was working. But I went to leave work so badly to protest. I feel like 2020 is the year everybody just pays attention because you can no longer turn a blind eye when you have nothing else to do. I'm going to say that. I feel like the distractions of life made people turn a blind eye or turn the other cheek or tell us it's not really happening because they didn't want to believe it's happening and they want to distract themselves. You can't do that anymore in a quarantine. I feel like 2020 isn't the hardest year in the black community. I feel 2020 is the year people pay attention wholeheartedly i do believe with the turn of the social climate in america where people are realizing that certain equality inequalities are not right that is also helping but i do feel like people weren't doing anything you know what i mean and it's like whoa hold on y'all kill y'all really killing people i mean we've been telling y'all for like 20 40 years but <clears throat> um i'm just i'm just say that and put that out there black people have been telling everybody about this for years you know, this is not the first time, but people, I think people finally like saw it again, with the use of body cams and phones, faster smartphones with a video is HD. If we wanted to, we could all have HD video and that is what happens. Um, now people are not only using the police cams on the body of the police officers because that could be turned off. To be honest, people are using their phones. HD, I see what you're doing. What are you doing to that black person? You know, I feel like it's really hard to ignore something when you're sitting there watching it on your screen. Mm-hmm. And you know what's funny? It, it's not funny, it's interesting. So I, back in when I was receiving my master's for criminal justice, that was one thing the program director always told us. We were like, body cams are the next big thing. Body cams, body cams. And then she really looked at us and was like, does the research on body cams show that they hold authorities accountable for what they do? Because right now the research doesn't show that they're effective. They show that they're there to please us. Um, and then this, this technically, this is our civil rights movement. This is it. You know, I read something that said, you know, people always say, oh, back then I would have done this. Well, this is it. This is a civil rights movement. I live with someone with an autoimmune disease. And when the protest started, I not only could I could not go out there, but by the time I heard, I knew about the protest, it was too late because I again, I live in Mount Vernon. So with those combined, I stayed home and I did online activism. I shared as much as possible. Um, by my Facebook, you would know I am very pro-black, very very into it um and then I feel like using your platforms to speak out against it you know this for us this is a new platform but it's a platform that I think myself and Sasha will love to use to speak out against the inequalities of the inequalities of the world so there's more than one way to be activist I regret it I I did want to go to the 
to the march in Washington and DC. I'm not gonna lie. Hysterically, that would have been like my point of like, I'm connected to my people. <laughs> but unfortunately, I could not go. I had a job interview. So, uh, <laughs> but, and, and I didn't know there were free buses. So, <laughs> so what I'm saying is, so what I'm saying is, I think 2020 is just the year everybody is just holding people accountable finally. I don't think it's the the biggest year for um, our lives because to be honest with you, every year is the biggest year for black people's lives, for any minority's lives, but especially black people. <laughs> I mean, we're still, the whole, they're still holding kids in cages and, and there have been like over thousands of children missing from those cages. So I'm not going to get into that right now. <laughs> so I'm actually going to start the questions a little early no because I feel like we're going to talk a lot. So one of the questions I want to ask, and a lot of these questions were uh, brought up before in an article, so I want to see your opinions on it. Here they are. So why do you protest Black Lives Matter and then tear each other down in the next breath? So I believe this question is saying, why do we as a community like hype up and argue, you know, Black Lives Matter, but then in the next breath, we are pulling ourselves down via other circumstances. So for example, I think of like Meg the Stallion and when she got shot in her feet and by Tory Lanez mm-hmm. and when she finally let the people know like, hey, this man shot me. People were calling her a snitch. Like Well people laughed at her for getting shot, yes. first of all. Yes. Let's let's <laughs> let's talk about that. People laughed at this woman for getting shot. I never thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. I was like, she got shot. Why are you guys laughing? Exactly. That's another. And then when she wouldn't tell, like, well, this is why, you know, justice can't come because you won't tell. And then when she finally told, well, then you a snitch. Mm-hmm. She just said she didn't tell the police that this man shot her because she was afraid that he wouldn't be alive anymore. She wanted to protect him Not as a black man. Protect him. She wanted to protect everyone in this situation. She said it herself. She's like, Oh, we're all yeah. black people. There's a gun in the car. Look at what's going on in the world today. Like, we could have died. And even though she got shot and she was the victim. Yes. They, the police still had guns on her talking about step away from the car. There's video of her limping away from a car with a shot foot. But pertaining to the question, why do we yell Black Lives Matter? Um, and then tear each other down the community. I'm going to say this. Yes, it does happen, but one does not negate the other. When people ask questions like this, to me, it's a, it's a, it's not a fallacy, but to me, it's just kind of like a distraction to distract away from the fact that we just said we don't want to be killed in the streets. Um, because yes, we do have problems in the black community. That, by the way, we we're, we're I what I find is happening, and I do like is that we are starting to call each other out for it. We are starting to say hey wait hold on this is not right as a people this should not be happening but as you know and so yes we have problems in our community but that does not negate the fact that we're telling people that we don't want to be mistaken for a criminal and shot right then and there we don't want to walk home from the corner store and get shot right then and there we don't want people to think that we're suspected of a crime suspected of a crime and not confirmed 
and get shot. We don't want to call the police on one issue and get shot for another issue that wasn't even there in the first place. You wouldn't want to be driving and stopped at a red light or get stopped for having a taillight out and get shot. We don't want to be jogging and get shot. We don't want our children to be playing in the streets and get shot. We don't want to be sleeping in our beds and get shot. The biggest, like one thing I do not enjoy, I do not enjoy when people say like, oh, you know, we complain about how police kill us. And then we're killing each other in the same breath. No, that is not, that is not the argument. What are you talking about? This is how, like you said, this is a distraction. This is, we're trying to address one issue that should not be an issue. Obviously the second one shouldn't be an issue too, but it's like you're negating the problem. You're like, oh yeah, you know, since we kill each other either way, why do we have to argue that cops shouldn't kill us either? That, what? Also, I saw this argument online saying it's black on black crime even a thing because white people kill each other all the time. They don't call it white on white crime. Mm Mm-hmm. So I feel like, I feel like it's just social marketing. Yes. Just so that we could be seen as criminals and deserving of having no life or no freedoms. Because it's how they want the world to see us. So that is what I think of that question. (laughs) So the next question is, why can't we just acknowledge that there are different bunch of black types, uh, different types of black people walking around and that they're all amazing and unique in their own special way. So remember how earlier we were talking about the different types of like Mm -hmm. black women. So like nerds, alt, um, musicians, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And this, this whole belief that we are all one particular being or we should be one being and everyone else isn't black enough. Why do you think that's a thing? Well, well, first of all, no matter what you like, you're black. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> there, no matter what, like you're a black woman, black male, you always seen as black. End of story. But every black is beautiful. Every type of black person is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Gay, straight, trans, um, by wh- how, whoever you identify as or whoever you identify as loving mm-hmm. or whatever hobby you identify as liking or enjoying. Like, personally, I wish I can get into cosplay. I'm not going to lie. It's expensive. Not doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I once, you know, had a friend tell me, like, that I was a stereotypical black woman. But what is a stereotypical black stereotypical black person, really? Just that. A bunch of stereotypes made up and given to you and force fed to you through media or representation or lack thereof of different types of black people. I'm quirky. I'm funny. I'm annoying. You know what I mean? There's no stereotype on those things. <laughs> but all of a sudden, because I'm black, I'm seen in a certain light by certain people. And I don't believe that should be a thing. I believe whatever you like, whoever you like, just do it. Like, who cares what people think? That's always been my motto. Who cares what people think? Think, do what you love. How about you? Okay. And you know, I think that's so funny because I remember you telling me about that friend. And then you also told me about a story where you were called an Oreo in middle school. So it's like, what are you? Are you like, you're your Oreo. You're a black stereotype. Just... There's no in between. Well, what it is, is when I was younger, I was called in middle school, specifically, 
I was called an Oreo because my aunt is a teacher and she taught me how to say things properly, pronounce my ing's, pronounce words properly, say things properly. And then because I read a lot in middle school, I usually read young adult novels, but then like they would have words that not everybody knew were words. And then I went to school in predominantly black school. So I was called an Oreo. So that's that really affected how I spoke because I didn't want to be seen as other, especially around my people. And for a while, I had this thing where I thought I just did, didn't get along with black people or that black people didn't like me um, because of it. But I started changing the way I speak to how I speak now. I speak properly, but then I throw in some ebonics, some words from the African-American language, you know, throwing some slang. I don't necessarily speak with a proper tone anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'll do the, hey, yeah, girl, you know what it is, you know, when it's appropriate because I just learned, okay, maybe I, it's kind of like, it's kind of like I mixed those two worlds together and I got what I am now and how I speak now. And I guess in my adult life, people see that as still a stereotype. Um, also, I will say, I do feel like people can see that stereotype because I am a bigger black woman also playing into the manly role and also playing into the like comedy stereotype bigger black woman as as like you can go to them for advice and they'll still still give you a sassy saying you know what I mean um and how we're portrayed and written in television and movies and theater so I think that's what that is to be honest okay you know that was one thing I wanted to bring up is the fact that like we talked about colorism we'll talk about like different personality types but we also have to talk about the difference between like the skinny the thick and the fat black because you know you don't want someone too skinny you don't want someone too fat you want them to be thick though and I feel like when you do not fit into the more middle realm you're often forgotten about you're like oh you're not attractive so we don't need to protect those black girls right you're not they say is conventionally attractive right now in this era yes. do you have any more questions for us one last quick one all right so this is something i noticed during the pandemic actually and during this whole push for like black owned but why are we so quick to support a non-black owned business but then hesitant when it comes to black owned like i said during the pandemic and during what was going on with Black Lives Matter, there was an uptake in supporting Black owned. But what about before? Why couldn't we support Black owned before? Okay, I'm gonna say this, cause I feel like it is a double-edged sword. I'm not gonna lie. Cause I've run across Black owned businesses who will charge you an arm and mm -hmm. a freaking leg for certain items where I can easily get at fast fashion clothing stores, which I do mostly shop at because that is what my budget can afford. So personally, it's budget. Um, I will I will also say the popularity of those black owned stores does play and come to factor because usually black owned businesses are smaller businesses um where they're not as advertised they're not as vocalized um i think that also plays into it and then lastly i do think there are some people who just don't want to support unfortunately like you have people who want to support but they may not have the money and then you have people who want to support then they forget about it because it's not as so much advertised to them on Instagram and Facebook. And then you have people who just don't want to support. That's what I believe happens. 
one of those three things. You? So I am more geared towards, like like you said, it's very much a double-edged sword. I am more geared towards looking for more natural products, more environmentally friendly. So when I look for Black-owned businesses, I look for that as well. And it is very far and few between. I also felt, or well, I feel that as a whole, I disagree with the fact that, you know, it's hard for people to support Black-owned because of the funds. Yes, yes, I understand money is tight, but a lot of the narrative is that, oh, we can't support black owned because it's too expensive. Why do we have to pay so much? Why can't you give me discounts? No, that's not how that works. I disagree with that. Have you need, no, I'm just saying that's what a lot of people are saying. People are like, oh, I want to, no, I don't want a discount. I just want to be able to afford it. Yeah. So that's why I was saying it was it's the fact that people are often just like oh well yeah we do have that mentality of like if you really want me to help you scratch my back and i'll scratch yours it's like no you buy the product or you don't you don't go into gucci trying to be like hey if you give me a discount maybe i'll buy something you know what i mean another thing i did notice during this whole uptake in supporting black owned they there was actually complaints that since so many people wanted to support black owned now that it was making hard making it hard for the businesses to keep up with the the stock so for example one yeah so one example i have is with this skincare product that i try i want to try is aloe vera is very nice black owned black ceo female but it is was so hard to get for the longest time because people kept buying kept buying kept buying they kept sending emails saying we're sorry we're sorry we're trying to keep up with the demand, but the, there is such a large demand that it actually hurt certain businesses. I mean, I feel like they've gotten better now because despite that, I feel like people were like saying Black Lives Matter is a movement. It is a movement, but the traction has gone down, not within the black community, but it's gone down universally everywhere else. Yeah, so that's what happened. What happened was that once people were like, okay, I did my job, I bought as much as I could earlier on, now we don't need to buy black owned anymore. We can go back to buying what we did before. Mm. And supporting what we did before. But outside. No, definitely. Yeah, outside of the black community. No, I said definitely. I, I agree. Like I said, with what I particularly like, I tend to go to small businesses or Etsy shops more so than larger companies. But I'm going to just say this, and this is with any small businesses. Sometimes small businesses have better products than mainstream businesses. A lot of times, actually. Right. Well, this is the end of the fourth episode of Black and Bougie. Stay safe. Wear a mask, buy black owned if you can, and have a good one. <laughs> Deuces.